Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's going on, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Be Shafe Daily as the Cardinals baseball season has arrived, and we are here to break it down for you on the podcast. Been a few days since we've done an episode. I was in New Mexico and have returned here on the Cardinals off day on Friday, April 2nd, to break down what's been going on with the team and what we can expect moving forward as the Cardinals took it home on opening day in Cincinnati, 11-6, to against the Reds in what was all around a really productive afternoon for St. Louis. You know, we had all of these questions coming into the season about the lineup, about the outfield, about the rotation, how the bullpen would come together. And it's only been one game, but we've gotten some glimpses into what I think we can expect from the Cardinals as this season develops, especially talking about the way that they're going to approach games and the alignments that we can expect for them to have. Looking at that lineup yesterday with Goldschmidt batting second and Arenado batting third, there's a lot to like about that. That pairing went 6-for-10 with four runs scored, a couple of RBIs for the game. Paul Goldschmidt was unbelievable, and I think it bears mention and a little bit of a deeper dive in discussion about how good Paul Goldschmidt really is and how good he could potentially be this year for the Cardinals. Now that you add a bat like Arenado, and it looks like is going to be batting directly behind Goldschmidt in the batting order, you could really do it either way. But we've talked about this dating back into spring training on the podcast, how I personally like the idea of Goldschmidt batting in that two-hole because of the on-base force that he was last season, even when his power was a little bit sapped compared to previous years. He, was, he still had a remarkable season for the Cardinals in 2020. And I think with that kind of eye on getting on base and and that being part of his mentality Uh, because listen Paul Goldschmidt is not the kind of player that's gonna really be phased by much of anything you could bat him lead off you could bat him clean up you could bat him ninth it honest to goodness I don't think any of it would matter to Paul Goldschmidt he's gonna go about his business and give you good at bats and produce over the course of a season but when you have two names like Goldschmidt and Arenado in a lineup it's only natural to want to maximize the kind of impact that you can have based on where you slot them in. And so we've known for several weeks now that it was going to be Edmund batting leadoff for the Cardinals. He had just a one-for-five day but did score a run. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he does as the season develops with regard to getting on base because it was interesting to hear yesterday from Goldschmidt after the game and him talk about batting in that two-hole does actually, and he didn't say it changes his mindset, but the fact that he kind of elaborated a little bit on what your mindset as a two-hole hitter is uh, naturally lends itself to the fact that you can spot differences if you're looking for them between a guy batting second, a guy batting third or fourth, etc. And for Goldsmith, he talked about 
understanding that you've got Arenado batting behind you and DeYoung then as a run producer in the cleanup spot, a little bit lower in the order, you've got Tyler O'Neill who hit a home run yesterday and they have expectations for him to be a run producer as well. And we'll see where Dylan Carlson fits into that. He was hitting bombs from the seven hole yesterday. Uh, Cardinals Nation rejoicing at the opening day debut uh, for the, the Cardinals rookie. But with Goldschmidt batting second, he talked about feeling maybe a little bit more of a responsibility toward getting on base, you know, that being more of an element of his job description if he's batting second than it would be if he's batting third or fourth. And a lot of times last year he was third, maybe moving up to second later in the year, uh, kind of bounced around a little bit, if I recall correctly. But with Arenado as a legitimate bona fide slugger in the middle of the lineup, Goldsmith can kind of serve dual roles as a guy who, sure, he's going to get his slugging. He's a guy who's got several seasons in his career with 30-plus home runs. He's been a big RBI guy. But if you're in that two-hole, you're kind of a blend of a guy that it's expected of you to get on base so that the, the sluggers behind you can drive you in and a guy that can get his own work done with regard to driving runs and RBIs when you've got guys ahead of you in the batting order that are getting on base. So going to be important for Tommy Edmond, I think, to get on base because that is going to be what's going to allow the Cardinals machine to just keep rolling. You know, you saw it rolling yesterday, but with Goldschmidt taking five at-bats, and I believe every ball he hit, everything he put into play yesterday in five at-bats was over 100 miles per hour off the bat. He was rewarded with four hits, three runs scored, and did have an RBI. Because when you're hitting the ball that hard and you're getting extra bases like he did, that double in the first inning was originally called a home run, but was uh, taken away on review. He ends up with two doubles, so it's not going to be very difficult with Goldschmidt hitting doubles all over the field for the guys ahead of him to find ways to score on those base hits. You know, you can be a blend of power and on base, and I think Goldschmidt could end up being... This could end up being a massive year for him if the lineup continues to perform around him, putting him into position to do things like he did yesterday. Look, if you hit the ball that hard that many times, you're going to find a nice batting line at the end of the day. So far this season, one game in, he's batting 800 with a 2,000 OPS. Yeah, you'll take that. So I'm excited to see, you know, watching Goldschmidt adapt to this role. It's It's something that you know, he's, he's like I said, he's batted second before, but he's never done it with a guy like Nolan Arenado batting behind him. So it's going to be interesting to see. I, per- personally, I would like to see Mike Schultz stick with this alignment for the lineup. But I know a lot of fans out there would say they like the idea of Dylan Carlson batting second. Yesterday, Carlson goes one for three, has the big home run, driving in three on that one, and took a walk as well. His other two plate appearances ended in a strikeout. But from the seventh hole, he had a wonderful day in the first time he's ever played on an opening day in the big leagues. Could he bat up in that lineup? Certainly. And I think for me personally, though, I would slot him clean up because I don't worry that much about his ability to handle it and need to have protection behind him. But if Edmund ends up not running as hot as you maybe hope that he would, leadoff could certainly be a spot if you want to stack arguably your three best hitters in the top three of that order going Carlson, Goldschmidt, Arenado, wouldn't have a problem with that. And then, you you know, you could kind of basically form two miniature lineups if you wanted to do it that way. Maybe O'Neill would still bat number five, and then you could bat Tommy Edmond sixth so that you have guy like Edmond, maybe DeYoung falls a little lower in the order. He was clean up yesterday, going one for five with an RBI and a run scored. 
and you know you'll have Yadier Molina down there and Justin Williams or whoever the right fielder is going to be. If Edmund is kind of in that number six, number five area, maybe he could kind of jumpstart as a guy who gets on base for the latter half of the order if you wanted to do it that way. But for right now, it's Carlson batting lower. I don't think that's going to continue for very long if he uh, continues to perform offensively the way he did yesterday. Uh, but, you know, you get you get production from everybody in the order, and it's going to be battles to, to kind of figure out where guys fit into the lineup. Tyler O'Neill got it done. He hit the two-run homer, a line shot off of his bat, scored a couple of runs as well. So production from everywhere in the lineup, I think no reason to think O'Neill should bat anywhere other than five or six. Um, you know, some people were calling for him to move into the cleanup spot in lieu of DeYoung. I could potentially see that happening as the season goes along. Look, though, I, for all the DeYoung bashing I kind of saw on Twitter yesterday, I, I think it's fair to kind of take a step back and recognize that uh, while excuses and coming up with reasons why guys haven't performed to expectations is doesn't make for the most enlightening, enjoyable, exciting podcast, I do think it's fair to mention with DeYoung that while he... he kind of faltered down the stretch in consecutive years. 2019, he did it, and his numbers weren't what you thought they should be. And then 2020 had a similar thing happen, but you can look at COVID in that season and have an explanation for why that took place. Does his body of work at this point in time suggest that he's a cleanup hitter? Not necessarily, so I do understand some of the criticisms there. But also, I don't think there's anybody else in the lineup that's a bona fide cleanup hitter that should go there in, in, in ahead of DeYoung. And the fact that he's a veteran player and has been in that position before, they've used him there, and I think they're comfortable with him there. That's probably the reason that he starts there this season. Uh, personally, I, though, for me, it would be a, a mixture of, you know, you could go O'Neal. I would go Carlson, though, just because I want to see him bat more times. And, you know, I think I think he's perfectly capable of driving in runs. He could be that kind of two-hole guy that Goldschmidt could be. I just think Goldschmidt, you know, at this point, I don't think it's that controversial to say is a better hitter than Dylan Carlson. Carlson could be one of the better hitters in the game, but Goldschmidt, uh, over the course of his career and the body of work that he's shown, he is elite. And so I like the idea of him batting in the first inning and Arenado batting in the first inning. So you could, you could you know, we've, we talk a lot of lineup stuff. You could go different ways with it. Didn't really matter yesterday which way they were going to go with it because pretty much everybody got it done. With the exception of Justin Williams, he went 0-4, didn't make much noise offensively in his uh, opening day debut starting in right field, but he did have a nice catch out in the field out there to make an impact, a positive one for the Cardinals. Yachty had an 0-4 day, but did score a run with an RBI, so that we, he at least had something in the box score. Jack Flaherty, the starting pitcher, um, probably had a more uh, productive, interesting day at the plate than he did on the mound, going 0-1, scoring a run, though, because he walked twice. One of those walks, a 10-pitch AB that he worked off the Reds pitching. So let's get into that a little bit, though, now that we've kind of broken things down from an offensive standpoint. It's not going to be something that's a huge deal because of the fact that the Cardinals won the game, but Jack Flaherty did not have his most productive day on the mound for the Cardinals, going four and a third innings, giving up six hits, six runs, all of them earned two walks, four strikeouts, and a pair of home runs. He's had that happen in the past where he gets tagged by a home run or two in a start. Usually, though, that's kind of the only thing he ends up giving up in the way of damage. That wasn't the case yesterday, and it happened you know, across multiple innings for Flaherty. Cincinnati getting one in the first, two in the third, one in the fourth, two in the fifth. And 
you know, it's just kind of was was not his day. Cardinals were allowing him to pitch deeper into the game because he was up over 90 pitches by the time it was all said and done, which is interesting because coming out of last year, uh, when, you, when you had that season beginning in July and then you had the COVID pause, took Flaherty a long time to be allowed by the Cardinals to pitch uh, to the extent that he did in the opener yesterday. 94 pitches, 54 strikes, not super efficient if that's your line. Again, you make a couple of mistakes if you get tagged for a couple of homers. Uh, cold weather out there. Had some snow flurries in the morning before the game up in Cincinnati, and Flaherty didn't make that any excuse for him. It wasn't something that he was going to blame. But, you know, Jack Flaherty, the competitor that he is, not happy to have an outing like he had, but was definitely appreciative of the offense to be able to pick him up. Another element of the team, though, that picked up Jack Flaherty, who, by the way, I don't think you have to worry about yet, uh, just be fortunate, be glad and grateful that if you're a Cardinals fan, the team was able to win a start where Flaherty gives up more runs than innings that he pitched. Uh, the ERA for the season, a cool 12.46. I don't think it's going to be there for very long. More interested to see how Flaherty performs in his next outing, which should come against the Miami Marlins, if I'm not mistaken, toward the end of that road trip before Adam Wainwright gets the ball in the home opener at Bush on April 8th. But let's talk about it. The bullpen that kind of came in for Flaherty and was able to settle things down. I think we need to give some props to Tyler Webb, and Mike Schilt mentioned it yesterday in his post-game press conference on Zoom that you know he deserves some credit for the way he was able to get out of that jam. He comes into this game, and you know with all the runs the Cardinals had been scoring, you kind of figure it's going to be a blowout, and there's not really much at all to worry about. Cardinals scored those six runs in the first, tacked on one in the second, and then had four more in the third to get out to an 11-3 lead. Uh, but then when Cincinnati gets one in the fourth and two in the fifth, they had an opportunity in that spot when Jack Flaherty comes out of the game to be able to do some legitimate damage. Flaherty, I think, gave up a couple of walks in that inning before he was eventually removed from the game. Bases loaded, one out, and at that point in time, you know, sure, it's 11-6 to six and you're feeling pretty good. Or, pardon me, it was 11-5 to five when Flaherty left the game with the bases loaded one out. A grand slam, though, makes it a two-point game. And so, two-point game. I've been way too much into basketball mode. Makes it a two-run game if the Reds were to get a grand slam off of Tyler Webb at that point in time. But instead, Webb comes in, gets a sacrifice fly. You certainly are willing to trade an out for a run at that point in time. That's how Cincinnati got up to number six. And then Webb gets the next guy to pop out into foul territory after a, a little bit of a back-and-forth battle. So he gets out of the fifth inning. It's still 11-6. to six. And from there, the Cardinals don't score any, any more runs. Uh, neither does Cincinnati, though, as it was kind of a battle of the bullpens. And let's go through it. Ryan Helsley, a lot to be excited about with him, but... He had a little bit of danger he had to work around, giving up three hits in one inning of work. Did have a strikeout. Next, it was Genesis Cabrera. Similar story, got through an inning, but gave up two bases on balls, no hits. He's That's kind of where he is. He's electric. If he's in the zone, you're probably not going to hit him. But if he's not, and frequently he isn't, because he was a guy last year with a huge strikeout rate, but also huge walk rate. So that was the story for Genesis yesterday, but got through the inning no hits allowed, did give up a couple of walks. Giovanni Gallegos, no problems to talk about at all. According to the box score on MLB.com, he was actually credited with the win, which is kind of surprising to me because the game, I know that Tyler Webb only threw two-thirds of an inning, but the game certainly had the opportunity to turn at that point in time. Uh, Flaherty, of course, not able to get through five, so the, the win couldn't have gone to him. 
And that's kind of a rare example where uh, I guess they gave the win to the guy out of the bullpen they thought was the most effective, being the official scorer, because Gallegos was really good. Didn't give up a walk or a hit, no base runners. Had two strikeouts in one inning of work when he pitched the eighth in a five-run game. Uh, so he ends up getting the win, I guess. If if you have him on your fantasy team, you're probably glad for that. Not sure how many people are going to have Tyler Webb on their fantasy team, but certainly Webb, in my opinion, was the guy that deserves uh, some credit and, and some mention because he's a guy that kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit in that Cardinals bullpen. The guys that are throwing 100 miles per hour, that's not Ty Webb, uh, but from the left side, he has done uh, a commendable job, and certainly yesterday that was the case. But how interesting was it as we get to the end of the game, Mike Schilt going with the uh, slam-the-door technique, and Alex Reyes for the ninth inning despite the five-run lead, so not a save situation. But Schilte did say before the game that Reyes was kind of the guy they were looking at to be, he didn't call it the closer, okay? He called it, you know, the guy that's going to finish the game for us if, if we have a lead. I think closer is a lot more efficient with your words than the, than that clunky phrase, but essentially that's what you're looking at with Alex Reyes, and I think that's going to be a fascinating trend to follow because, for one, the fact that they threw him into this situation despite, uh, you know, there, there not being a save situation and they didn't throw, like, Jake Woodford or somebody else just to eat up the inning, I think says something about, A, getting Reyes, uh, having his feet under him, uh, being able to get into the swing of the season, gave up a hit, gave up a walk, had a strikeout uh, in a scoreless ninth uh, yesterday. I think it's fine to get him involved. They want to get him innings for this season. It's going to be really interesting, though, to track how they manage to get him the number of innings that they claim they want for him, which is uh, around 100, if you recall, from a few weeks ago. Uh, John Moselak said that number, talking about trying to get Reyes into the swing of things to be a potential starter for them in 2022. You've got to get his innings load up a little bit. Throwing one on the first day of the season, I guess, should help that. But how many days in a row is he going to be able to throw? Is he going to be a guy who throws an inning, takes a day off, and then can throw again? Or is he going to be an inning in two-thirds, two innings kind of closer, leverage reliever, whatever you want to call it? I think it's going to be interesting to see how the Cardinals manage to piece that together so that, A, he can be an effectively used pitcher for the Cardinals, a team that plans on contending this season, obviously. And he's to me, when I put it out on Twitter yesterday asking for everybody's Cardinals MVP, asking for their Rookie of the Year, their Cy Young candidate, their uh, Reliever of the Year, and one player that you expect to be able to uh, exceed expectations for St. Louis this season. For me, Reyes was my answer for Reliever of the Year because I've been saying it. If, if you've been listening and, and having some fantasy baseball drafts, we were able to get him in your bullpen for fantasy. I think that's great because I do think uh, he's a guy who's going to get consideration for saves that may not go toward him being able to be ramped up for starting pitching next season because I don't see how if you use him as your closer, you're going to be able to get him 100 innings. Uh, but maybe, you know, who knows? The Cardinals might end up getting creative with it, more creative than I expect, occasionally having him throw some uh, you know, multi-inning stints in situations where if you're up by two, he comes in in the middle of the seventh, maybe he'll finish a game. I don't know, you know, if, if it looks right. So that's up to Mike Schilt. That's up to Mike Maddox to be able to kind of manage that. But certainly I expect big things from Reyes this season. Knock on wood that he stays healthy. He looked fine yesterday. Uh, Gallegos, I think that's probably, other than giving his due to Tyler Webb, uh, the performance by Gallego is probably the most interesting takeaway from the relief core yesterday, just because if you recall back into 2019, 
uh, that's when we were talking about how the Cardinals maybe didn't actually lose the Luke Voigt trade because Gallegos was darn near the best reliever in Major League Baseball that year. Had some injuries, had some difficult situations uh, going around last year, as many players did, to where he didn't have the kind of year that he would have liked. Uh, but off to a great start in 2021. And if he can be another closer caliber player for the Cardinals, like Jordan Hicks didn't pitch in yesterday's game. Cardinals expect him to be able to come along. I do not expect Jordan Hicks to just eventually resume the closing role. It wouldn't surprise me if you have Gallegos perform really well or Reyes uh, perform well in the role. He's going to obviously get the first crack at it. I don't think you're going to see on a regular basis Jordan Hicks in the ninth right away. Could happen eventually, uh, but they're going to bring him along a little bit more slowly I wouldn't be surprised to see him in in the 6th or 7th of a game uh, just to kind of get his feet wet and push him back toward the latter end of games as his season goes along. But he's got to be effective too, right? Like if you want to eventually get him to that role, I don't think you can just assume that it's going to be the case. Recall that Hicks, you know, has had that 102, 103-plus mile-per-hour fastball uh, that he's flashed, and really it's a sinker. And so that's kind of what has given him some issues with the way uh, launch angle and things of that nature. Guys are just able to drop the bat head on that. Even if it's coming in at 104, 105, he's given up more contact, not always hard contact, but he hasn't missed bats in the past the way that you would think a guy throwing 105 would be able to do. And so he's going to still have to be able to prove that after Tommy John that he can miss bats at the rate you'd probably like to see out of your closer. So it will be interesting to see where, where he ends up sliding in. But look, if you've got this quantity of really capable relief pitchers that you trust and leverage. Uh, I, I'm going to say it now, and I'll probably say it again. I expect the Cardinals bullpen, if it stays healthy, to be the premier element of this team. You really like what you saw from the lineup yesterday. I think there is still quality in the start rotation, but this bullpen has a, has a chance to be da- downright nasty. So going to be fun to watch as this season rolls along for St. Louis. And as it does, we'll be here at B-Shape Daily talking about the Cardinals and breaking things down. I appreciate you guys for joining me for this episode, the first episode in which we discuss a regular season game. Uh, we'll get into some more as we go along. Cardinals will be back at it on Saturday with Adam Wainwright taking the mound against the Cincinnati Reds. And then you've got Easter baseball on Sunday. No Albert Pujols in St. Louis anymore to hit home runs on Easter, uh, but we'll see who from the Cardinals is able to step up and perhaps carry on that mantle as the weekend comes to a close with the Easter holiday. Go ahead, if you've not done so already, take a moment. shouldn't take you long. Subscribe to B-Shape Daily. Wherever you listen to podcasts, just a couple of clicks should be able to get you linked up and ready to go. You can go to Spotify. You can go to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Any of the other spots, you're going to find us there as well. If you really need a list of all the potential spots to, to look us up, head to anchor.fm slash bshafer12. Click on more platforms, and right there you can look at like a dozen different apps that you can find Daily. Appreciate you all once again for listening to the show, and we will talk to you tomorrow.